today I've got a special announcement for you as well, right after the jingle at the end, so make sure you listen all the way to the end, and a cheeky special guest who's never been on the show before. After discovering the power of mini experiments, I was unlocked to test my business ideas, launch quickly, innovate on the fly. It changed my world, this idea of mini experiments. And today, Simon and I are going to show you how this incredibly powerful tool can be applied to your business, your life, and creating your dreams. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur, and I have back with me my business partner, Simon Payne. I can't get rid of him. You keep inviting me back, Alan, and I'm like a bad penny. (laughs) He's back. I'm like an enthusiastic Labrador. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's more the image of me, isn't it? The enthusiastic Labrador, always like... Let's do this. Yes. Um, you just panted down the microphone, Alan. That's going to spoil it for everybody. I was thinking getting Enthusiastic Labrador on crack, maybe. I don't think Enthusiastic Labrador <laughs> quite covers it, Alan. <laughs> so welcome back to the show, everyone. And we are very excited about this particular episode because of the impact it's had on our life. And you might be thinking mini experiments. Well, shut up, Alan. I'm already running a business. Well, let me just quell that one right here doesn't matter what stage of career your life you're in, mini experiments are an incredible tool. And I don't care whether you're 20, just out of college and launching a business. I don't care whether you're 30 and come out of corporate life and you want to do something. I don't care whether you're me, like 42 and FI and running a business. Like I still run mini experiments. Don't care if you're Simon. Simon runs a global business and he's doing mini experiments right now. Like it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, this stuff helps, doesn't it? I think this is the game changer. The more that I think about this, the more I think that this is super, super powerful. And I like very real experiences of many experiments happening at the moment uh, with mixed results. But that's kind of the idea of it, isn't it? You don't always get the result that you want. It doesn't matter whether it works or not. It, you're just going to get results. You can call it a failure. You can call it a mistake. I've actually stopped using that. I mean, I use it occasionally, but it's just results, isn't it? Let's just see what results we get from running this experiment. It's just results. Exactly. Mm. There was a a belief I learned on an NLP course many years ago, which is there is no failure, there is only feedback, which I love that because you just learn. You just get, okay, so I learned the customer said no. (laughs) I got a lesson. Now what am I going to do differently? And that's part of the experimental process. Yeah, for sure. So we should start at the beginning, shouldn't we, Simon? So we're going to actually lay this out piece by piece as a process. So step one is coming up with an idea. And Listen to the last episode. We've got Travis Shakespeare, head of programming for BBC America. Incredible episode talking about creativity. But you've got to come up with an idea. And we've spoken a lot about that. So we're not going to go too much into it. But coming up with an idea, then you've got to choose the one to have a go as a mini experiment which we did a lot of that as well in the first season, didn't we, Simon? Choosing the idea. Yeah, and I think, you know, we can spend too much time over cooking this, especially all you perfectionists. I know you, I see you, because I am one. Well, I was one. <laughs> you are um, them. <laughs> <laughs> and it does rear its head occasionally. But for me, it's about going, what's my best guess? My absolute best guess 
of the idea that I think I want to do next. And I think the word next is really important because lots of us, especially like every single person listening to this will be someone who's got creativity. You've got ideas, there's stuff that you want to do. You want to have a go at things. Often the biggest challenge isn't coming up with an idea. It's actually selecting from a whole bunch of ideas that you've had that keep coming mm-hmm. around again. So it's your best idea of what you think you want to do next based on what your resources are that are available. Because there's lots of ideas that I want to have a go at and I go, well, I'm not really there yet, am I? I don't really have the villa in Fiji yet. So I'll put that one on ice for now. Based on the resources that I've got, based on the stuff that excites me the most, because if it doesn't excite me, then what on earth am I doing it for? What's my best guess of what I want to start with? That's how you choose. I love that. For me, the bit that's really shaken Katie and I recently is this idea. If you could imagine, let's say you had two ideas you want to start. And if you can imagine them in front of you as two hills, And basically the experiment is run up the hill, see if it worked. And you've got two hills to pick from. What most people do is sit in the middle of them at ground level going, which one should I choose? And they stay there for sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years without ever actually tackling a hill. I've done it. I've been Um, there. I've done it. Yeah. (laughs) I've done it. My approach is doesn't matter which hill. I just start running. I just go straight up a hill and halfway up, I I go, nah, this isn't for me. Yeah. (laughs) Halfway up, I go, this hill isn't for me. I run back down and I run up the other hill and go, this one's much better. I quite like this one. But I will have run up both hills by the time your average person has even like thought about which hill to run up. There are times when I've actually, whilst you're running up and down various hills, I'm in the sewer looking at a map. Like, you know, figure which, mm, there's a number of hills around here. <laughs> and I quite like the look of all of these hills. I don't know which one to run up first. Let me observe the hills through my binoculars for a little while longer. <laughs> but you are not normal. Either. And I'm kind of at the top going, Simon, you'll love this one. You'll love yes. this hill. Come to the top with me. Yes. Um, and then you lasso me and, and drag me up. And that's kind of happened yeah. quite a few times to us. It has. Yeah. It has. Yeah, I feel like that actually does happen in our lives. It's happened many, many times with mixed results. You know, some of those hills have been, oh my God, Alan, this is a terrible <laughs> hill. It's a crap view. I'm covered in mud. What on earth have you done? And, and other times I go, this is a life-changing hill, a completely life-changing hill. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been interesting to me. I feel like I've been Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole for several years now. But I think the, the point that I've got to now is... And it's fascinating seeing the power of many experiments, but also the challenge of when you go to someone, and we're going through this at the moment, and when you pitch a mini experiment, when you've got a, you're lucky enough to have a team of people, and they stare at you like you've just beamed off another planet. You know, they go, I'm going to have to work a little harder to get this over the line than I thought I was going to. Why can't you see? This hill looks amazing. Look, I'm already halfway up it. You haven't even got your boots on. Come on, guys. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm fully sold, Alan. You've got me. I'm in. So you've got to pick a hill, you've got to pick one. So you choose an idea, pick it, doesn't actually really matter which, because if you pick an idea ahead that direction, halfway through you'll go, this is for me or this isn't for me, you'll change direction and you're at least making progress to where you want to go. If you sit there trying to decide, you'll never get anywhere. So how do we agree? What's the tools to build the courage to start? I think like knowing there's no right answer is one good piece. But how do you build the courage to have a go at this, Simon? I would just dig into choosing an idea as a very first step. But just to go one stage further with that, for me, the courage comes with focus. 
because suddenly the steps are now becoming a little clearer as to what to do next. All the while you're holding more than one idea in your head, there's too much fog and it's really difficult to get clarity and get the insight and to figure out what to do first. So it's so important. It doesn't matter which one you choose. It just matters that you choose and it's your best guess because then you remove 50% of the junk that's operating that part of your brain. You go, look, I've now made some space. I've made space for courage. I've made space for clarity over what the next steps are. And I think that's absolutely key. And I guess the second part to that is to, and this is this is something that, that's very smart people. So all of the listeners to this podcast, plus others, very smart people find difficult, which is we do get seduced by our business ideas and we do mm. go, I can see what this could become. I can see all of the possibilities of this. And what that suddenly does is that it, it brings on its own level of paralysis. It knocks your confidence because suddenly it feels so overwhelming. It knocks your confidence. You've got no clarity over which step to take. And it's never going to be any of those things until you start. So it's this sort of paradox. Yes. I've got this really awesome business idea, which will never see the light of day until you do that thing that we always talk about. You've got to focus on, and you always frame this as the secret of business. You know, what are you selling first? Lots of things that you could sell, but what are you going to sell first? And who are you going to sell it to? And then go do that. And then suddenly you've got this, this instant clarity of direction. I think that's the stuff that's in my mind about this stuff, how to get started. I love that. Yes. And just a little bit to add on about motivation to start, because I know I've spoken to many entrepreneurs in the past who go, well, I just can't get motivated. And uh, well, if you sat on the couch watching Amazon Prime and Netflix, waiting for motivation to hit you, you're going to be waiting a very long time. Motivation doesn't come from the outside. And the interesting thing is the way to get motivated is to do something. That's the key. If you get up and take an action, take a step, ring someone, send an email, run around the house telling someone, I don't care what it is, you don't get motivated by sitting on the couch. You get motivation by doing things. That's the key. So we just need to take an action, which actually brings us on to the next step, which is framing this as an experiment. That word experiment is actually critical what does it do to you, Simon, when you think, well, I'm going to do an experiment? How does that change things? Yeah, it usually means that you're on the phone. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Well, I guess it just, I think a key part of this is about de-risking it, isn't it? And I think often when we think of business ideas, we think about them in the same way that we think about a job. And what I mean by that is you go, well, when I get a job, I'm applying for a job. And if I get the job, I've got the job and now I'm in employment. Whereas business is not, is not linear because it might be that you start something, it doesn't work, or you start something and it works a bit, but it's not enough money to sustain you. So you've got to do something else for a bit. And then you realize that the idea itself isn't actually the thing that you thought it was going to be. So you've got to go do something different instead. And, you know, we go round in that, that circle a number of times and sometimes tens of times before you actually get there. So framing it as an experiment for me releases the pressure on this thing having to work first time round. In fact, it's acknowledging that it isn't. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work because it's just an experiment. It's just my best guess of what I think I want to do next. And after a bunch of these experiments, I'm probably going to know whether I'm going to stick with it or not. <laughs> and we actually had this at the, so it's now the beginning of February. We had the January team retreat for Pop-Up Business School, which has now been rebranded to Rebel Business School. 
And we were talking about this new idea of the subscription model for Rebel Business School. So we'd have a bunch of events and the customers would sign on and they would get these online events that they could give to their residents. And I think it became a big thing. And by the end of the call, I went, well, let's just do an experiment. James, who's our salesman, he's in phenomenal. I said, well, why don't you just go to the top five clients we have that we love, that we trust, that we connect with and ask them if they would buy the subscription model? And he said, okay. And if they don't buy, well, we can come up with a different idea. If they do buy, we've made progress. What's happened since then, Simon? Uh, we've got 10 signed up and then another 30 that have agreed to an entry-level product <laughs> that doesn't exist yet. And that's my favourite thing. We've got 30 clients that have said, this sounds phenomenal. And then everyone in the team, we're all looking at each other going, well, what is it? Well, we don't really know yet. What do you mean you don't know? You've got 30 people that want it. Well, we, we sold them an idea. <laughs> But that's, that's the key part. There's no point me making this damn thing if nobody wants it. And I think that's the, the reverse thinking yes. of how I used to think when I first started messing around with business ideas. Before I can give it to a client, I need to have everything in place. And actually, we're going the other way around. We're going, well, we've got nothing in place other than a pitch and an idea. And then off of that conversation, not only do we then you know get to decide whether it's worthwhile building or not, but we can also create it with them. That's the most exciting bit. I can make sure that this thing absolutely mm. answers all of their questions. And not everybody wants to do that. And not every product or service is ripe for it in that sense. But co-creating stuff with clients is always the way that you and I have, have had our best results and love to work in that fashion. And an element of that is possible with every product and every service. And I think that's the key. I love that challenge of people going, no, but no, no, you can't launch an experiment with this. You need money for this. And you go, right, let's just see about that. <laughs> I'm excited. Alan. Because I'm people support what they co-create. They do. Yeah. I know. I know. It's like, let's, what should we come up with now? Let's run one together now. Anyway, back to the subject, because we've got to help people. People support what they co-create. See, if you go to someone with a product or a service that's finished and say, will you buy this? What are the only two possible answers? Yes or no. If you go to someone and say, here's the idea, here's what I do, what do you think? What are your biggest problems? Let's design something to fix your biggest problems. Let's design something to help you. I've got a rough idea of what it is. It's an idea, but let's co-create this together. Like the magic can come from that. So stop boxing yourself in with a yes, no and start asking what people want and start co-creating it with them. You box yourself in later. Like once we've run a mini experiment, once we know the product works, then you can go to people and say, do you want to buy it? Yes, no, let's get some orders. But to start with, like let's start working out what people actually want and let's build what they actually want, not what we think is right. And I think that's where some of us get stuck, isn't it? Some of us. Well, you know, if you're going to go and pitch something, <laughs> you go... Well, it doesn't exist yet. That sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? And that's where I used to stop. I used to go, oh, you know, but actually my best advice, if you're going to go, I'm going to about to launch an experiment. That means I have to go and talk to actual humans, possibly even strangers, if I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone to launch this experiment. How do you actually do it off the basis of an idea and you haven't got any other materials yet because it's an experiment, so you haven't made anything? Then the first thing you've got to do is to breathe. I highly recommend it. It's like one of the most powerful tools in the entrepreneur's toolkit. <laughs> it 
this is something that I've I've stopped doing occasionally when we're under pressure. We get anxious, don't we? And when when we get anxious, what happens to our breathing? It goes yep. <laughs> and it gets really shallow. So my strategy now is to breathe deeply and pick up the phone. That's it. If you want to get the courage to do it, you just got to breathe deep. Step one. Is that all we need, Alan? Breathing? What else do we need? Well, breathing helps, but do you know how many times I've pitched an idea, Simon, that doesn't exist, that is just a random thought in my head? Um, do you know how many times I've done that? I would say we've got to be getting close to four figures, I would guess. It's like every other day. Every other day I go, I've had this idea. What do you think to someone? And most of the time people go, yeah, that's a great idea, Alan. And I know that's not. Um, but actually, sometimes people go, that sounds phenomenal. And I've pitched show ideas. I've pitched business ideas. I just tell people about it. And actually, the practice of telling people about it refines it. And if I tell someone about it once, the second time I tell someone it's better, the third time I tell someone it's better, the fifth time I tell someone, someone goes, actually, that's a good idea, Alan. And then you start to go. So if we're talking about this, how to run a mini experiment, Simon, it's step one, come up with an idea. Step two, build a little courage to have a go through thinking, which one am I going to do? And just pick any, it doesn't really matter. Frame it as an experiment, like if it goes wrong, who cares? And then we go and start pitching it. Pitch it, sell it, ask for the order, see if someone will buy. And let's talk about what do you need to be able to pitch an idea? Because you kind of have this riff of people doing the opposite. And we did the opposite when we started, didn't we, Simon? We were like, well, to be a business and to go to a sales meeting, I need a logo. I need a website. I need business cards. I should probably print a thousand compliment slips for my checks that I'm going to write. The young people listening to this will have no idea what a check is. But I need, to, I need all of that stuff ready before I go and pitch and sell. How many times have you done that, Simon? I know I've done it two or three times. How many times have you done it where you've tried to get everything ready before you pitch? I spent £850 on uh, lawyers to create a contract for a customer that I didn't even have yet. So yeah, I've, done, I've probably done that a good three or four times over the years, <laughs> I'd say. Yes. So how do you do it now? Like, What do you do now if you've got an idea? The people listening to this... What's the minimum they need to launch the mini experiment? Like, what's the minimum level of prep, stuff, expenditure that they need to launch this? Now, I think it, for me, this is about who you go speak to first and what about. So there is a process of prototyping and making things feel more real than they are. But actually, to pitch an idea to someone, all you actually need to do is to make a call. And this is my... Number one step when I'm pitching something new is that I go to my connections, my friends, my family, my Facebook friends, not my real friends, my Facebook friends, my former co-workers. You know, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm going to them first because we've already got an element of trust. They all, we already know each other in some way, shape or form. So I'm going to pitch to them first because I need less proof that the thing is actually real yet. It's not like I'm, and I think that's the mistake that many of us make is that we go and try and, we try and be a, an established business straight off the bat and then put ourselves out to a bunch of strangers before we've actually taken the opportunity to leverage the relationships of the people that we already know. So if you go to the people that you already know in some way, shape or form, former school friends, coworkers, connections on Facebook, neighbors, friends of friends, go to them first 
and actually you could go, I've, I've got this idea. What do you think? And by the way, I'm not selling to you. Uh, I'm just sharing mm. my idea. And in, in my passion and enthusiasm, you may decide that you want to buy one. <laughs> I love that. And it's the practice. And I've spoken to other people before about this practice. Actually, pick a client you don't want and go and pitch to them to start with to get the practice. And I was saying this to, uh, I did a series with Choose FI where I was helping a lady to launch a dance business. And I said, well, why don't you go and sell it in a state that isn't yours? So she picked a random state in America that she was never going to work in, rung some people up and pitched the idea. Uh, unfortunately, she did a good job and someone wanted to buy. Uh, but at least she did it with a low risk way of someone she didn't actually want to win the business with. And that was a lot more confidence building. And then when she came to the client, she actually wanted to win. She felt a lot more confident, a lot better. She practiced it. And then she was a lot more confident asking for the order and launching that thing. So let's, like, for me, the minimum viable thing to launch is you need an idea and then you need to talk to someone. I've kind of made a history of that. There is a version online. If you want to do it online, you put up a one-page website, you stick a MailChimp capture form on there. MailChimp is free up to 2,000 contacts. And then you put out your one-page form, promote it all over social media, and see if anyone puts their email address in or buys. Now, that is a great test and you can do that for free. Maybe that takes you four or five days to build it. Maybe it takes you three days to build it. Who knows? But the simplest possible free version. But you don't need a lot. You just need to launch it. Don't overcook it. Yeah, I've wasted hours on this stuff. But I think what I've noticed is when you get to the next stage, you know, you do the pitch and people go, hmm, yeah, there's something in there. That's quite interesting. Could you send me something? And that happened to us in 2012, didn't it? You got to send me, oh, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I've got, I got to do some work now. And I think that, that making it real phase and doing that without spending any money is key. You know, the thing that we've pitched and got 30 clients signed up for that doesn't exist, the next stage is I still haven't built the thing. I've done a PowerPoint of this is what I think it might look like. This is my best guess of what it could look like. Mm-hmm. Mm, look at this, isn't this cool? And that starts the next level of conversation and, and grounds it in reality. Customers do need to see some evidence of it, but you don't need to start there. You need to start with the conversation first. And what I love about that is it's free. Yeah, if you've pitched a good idea, they will then say, can you send me a proposal or something like that, which is always an annoying phase. But Simon's right. Then you put it together, a simple document, a simple PowerPoint, a simple Google Uh, whatever it is, and you put some images, you put some text and you go, here's the options, here's what it could be, what do you enjoy? And you keep the conversation going as you crack down on what it is. The question that I often get about this stuff is people go, oh yeah, but your business runs a service, you know, pitching a mini experiment like that wouldn't work for a product business, would it? Because they need to have the product to be able to sell it. And then I go, well, you've got two options. I'm either going to give you Alan's phone number or you can listen to what I'm about to say in the next two minutes. Like, how do you answer that when, when, people, <laughs> when people challenge you on that? How do you answer that? I said it doesn't matter what it is. My main thing is people buy houses without ever having seen them. I don't know if you've seen this. They'll take you for a guided tour of the house that doesn't exist around the plot of land. 
And they kind of go, right, here you are, you're stood in the kitchen. And they're like, no, I'm not, I'm on a blank piece of land. But they'll go, you're stood in the kitchen, look, there's the counters. And then they draw a sort of square and they go, that'll be the window, that'll be your view. And we're all looking out of the window that doesn't exist. And people buy houses off plan. If someone can sell a house that doesn't exist, you can sell a mini product. Like, I don't care. Like, you can draw a diagram, you can come up with some stuff. And the world has changed in terms of that. You've got services like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And actually, what, what I'd love you to do, if you're listening to this right now, we have a series of episodes coming up with Jamie, a digital artist. And it's going to be in the coaching series. You need to listen to that because Simon and I and Casey from the Pop-Up Business School coach her through choosing an idea. She chose her idea, which is she wants to do a horror comic book. And then she is launching a Kickstarter. And for the last couple of months, I've been coaching her about how to do that. The Kickstarter will literally be launching February this year. And you will be able to listen along as she creates a real product, a physical comic book that ships to customers. And you'll be able to experience that, learn the process, go through it with her. And it's been a journey doing this stuff, but she's selling it from a few designs that she has created before. And she's created two or three pages of the comic book digitally, which she will use to sell it on Kickstarter. And we're running a mini experiment. And very soon, her and I will get to know if anyone buys and if the mini experiment works. But I I genuinely don't care what it is. The world has changed. You can sell it before you create it. I'm going to give them your phone number. Please do. Please do. So let's let's get on to the next bit, which like we've run the mini experiment, Simon. We've asked a bunch of people to buy. We've got some customers. We've tested it. Right? And this will go one of two ways. Either people say no and your mini experiment dies before it even starts, or people will say yes, and then you'll fulfill your first X number of orders, and then your mini experiment comes to an end then, and you need to review it. And I guess we've got those sort of two tracks, Simon, to think about. What do you do if you launch your mini experiment, you pitch your idea, you put it out there, and no one buys? Well, I think then you've got to go through a process of going... Do I believe in this? The fact that no one's bought doesn't mean to say that no one is going to buy. It just means that your process so far, your experiment so far hasn't worked. And we meet loads of people who come through our courses absolutely passionate about doing a thing, but really struggling to turn that into a business. I think the first thing is to go, am I enjoying this process? Okay, I might not be enjoying the results currently, but if I was to get the results, does this feel like I'm heading in the right direction? Because if you're not enjoying it, then it's time perhaps to, to reevaluate, you know, and, and choose something different. If you want to do something with your time that you don't enjoy, that solution's easy. Just go and get a job. It's a lot easier. Right? But the, the point of this is that I want to spend my time doing something that excites me. So question one, do I enjoy this process? Do I want to carry on doing this thing? And if the answer is that, yes, then there's a diagnostic process to go through to figure out what is it that I've done or haven't done as part of my experiment that I need to shift and try something different and launch part B of the mini experiment. So let's go through that diagnostic process because we both do it all the time with people at Pop-Up. They come in and say, I've launched it, no one's bought. And the first question I ask, and I'd be interested to know if yours is the same, Simon, the first question I ask is, 
how many people did you try and sell it to? Because the standard answer comes back that I sent seven emails and I didn't get any responses. That's the standard first step. And my first response is, well, you haven't asked enough people. You haven't tried enough. You haven't done the mini experiment. Mini is amazing, a confusing word. Mini experiment means just it's a two-week experiment. Doesn't mean you haven't pitched it to 5,000 people. Like, please get off your bottom and go and pitch it to a huge number of people. Because if you've asked seven, like, you're probably not going to get anywhere with that. Like, not everyone's in the right stage to buy. You need to get out there and do it. That's the first question I ask, Simon, is how many people have you pitched it to? How many people saw your post? How many people visited your Kickstarter page? Like, what's the size of your reach? That's the fourth question I ask. Ooh. Question one. This is for people that aren't getting the results that they want from their business ideas, their experiments that they're running. Question number one, quick check in with you. Have you picked something that excites you? Because sometimes we choose business ideas that we think we should do or the ones that our family wants us to Mm -hmm. do or the ones that our friends tell us that we should do because you're so good at making cakes. You should turn that into a business. But actually, let's just check in. Is that just a hobby for you or do you actually want to do it as a business? So that's my first question is, uh, you know, where's the love for this? Are you actually genuinely excited about this thing? If not, let's adjust it now before you get too deep and pick the one that does excite you more. Or if it does still excite you, great. Then I'm going to allow you to move on to question two. And question two is all about focus. <laughs> question two for me is, is this. And it goes back to all of the stuff that we said before about the secret of business. Have you focused on one thing? Are you trying to sell more than one idea, service, product at once? Because if you're trying to do more than one thing, I can guarantee that that is going to hold you back from getting the results that you want because you've got two lots of marketing, two lots of social media. Sometimes people try and run five or six things at once. And I know that because I've tried that. But you don't need to make the same mistakes that I've made. You can make new ones. And then you can ring me and say, I made another mistake, Simon. You want to hear this one? And I go, yeah, brilliant. Bring it on. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's about, it's about focus. Question two is about focus. Question three is also about focus. Who is the person that you're trying to sell to? Are you trying to sell to everybody? Or have you mm-hmm. figured out who your target audience is? So I got like a, a four-stage diagnostic where I say to people, you haven't got the right to say your experiment isn't working yet until you can look yourself in the mirror and go, I've picked something that excites me. I've focused on one product or one service. I've even put it in front of one kind of customer and I'm going for that target audience. And then my fourth question is is like yours. What's the size of the action you've taken to promote? Have you sent one email or have you sent 100? Have you made one phone call or have you made 50? Have you joined one Facebook group and left zero comments or have you put in a comment on every single post in there? You know, those are the kind of questions. And once we've been through that, then we can go, well, let's have a look at how well you've executed your marketing. How good is your pitch? How good is your email? Mm. How good is your, your WhatsApp message? How good is your, your Facebook comments and, and so on? And I've gone through five questions and I haven't even explored whether the idea is any good or not yet. We've got to go through those ones first before you can get to <laughs> the other stuff. You know. So if you're listening to this, I think Simon's given you a fantastic roadmap. Either A, you're doing a business right now, check to see if you've answered those questions, or B, you haven't launched your mini experiment yet. Go through those questions before you've launched it to give yourself a higher chance of success when you do launch it. 
So let's switch to the other track, Simon, which this is one that I've been working on a sort of diagnostic tool for it. It's actually, you've sold five, whatever it is, product, service, you've sold five, you've done it, someone's bought, you've got some money, there's been some business activity, you've done the first mini experiment and you've delivered it. Here's the three things I look at to work out on the other track. I've sold something. Do I want to press in? Do I want to go to phase two and launch bigger, sell more and grow it? And the three things I look at are, and we'll unpack these. Number one, did you enjoy it? Number two, did the customer enjoy it? And number three, did you make any cash? What was the profit? And those are the three questions. So I think the first one is, did you enjoy it? Because sometimes you think it's going to be great running a service or doing a business for someone or selling a product. And then you actually realize, oh, I didn't enjoy doing that. I've done it before. I've run certain courses. I've tried certain experiments and I've gone, actually, I really didn't enjoy that. I'm a glutton for punishment, but I don't want to do any more of that. And that's an interesting one. Do you remember the guy who came on Longmont, Simon? Uh, he came on the Longmont Pop-Up Business School with Mr. Money Mustache. He was a, a chef and he did a fantastic spread for, I think, the second or third day. We all put in so many dollars. He earned a reasonable amount of money, but he just went, this is a lot of work. This is a huge amount of work. And I worked all day for this many dollars. Like I didn't enjoy it. And he kind of like, that was the end of that mini experiment and that dream. And that was okay because he tried it, he'd experienced it. And then he's able to let go of the idea and move on to the next one. I'd love to ask him the question, how long he'd been hanging on to that business idea as a possibility. Mm -hmm. And I think the unwritten thing or the unspoken thing about the experiment is that it frees you up from all the stuff that you don't want to do, but you're hanging on to because if the idea mm -hmm. of it sounds really good, but the reality is actually something quite different. You don't know that until you take those first few steps. That's exactly true. And I, re I remember some friends who'd always dreamed of running a wine bar, Simon. Like, I feel like that's a fairly stereotypical dream, but they dreamed of running a wine bar. But when we actually spoke about the reality of running a wine bar, ordering the wine, having the place, having the staff, having the overheads, working when everyone else is relaxing, like your work time is Friday night, Saturday night. It's all the nights. It's the weekends. It's hosting everyone. It's running around, making everything's good. It's staying up until two in the morning afterwards to clean the place and get it ready for the next day. Like it's a big task. And when we spoke about what it actually was, they kind of looked at us and went, well, actually, all we really want to do is drink in a wine bar with our friends and I said, well, it's probably going to be less work and cheaper just to buy a bottle of wine every now and again in a wine bar rather than one one yourself. Um, but you need to do the mini experiment, even if it's a mini thought experiment, to know whether it's the business you want to do or not. Yeah, let's do a pop-up wine bar and borrow someone else's space, borrow a lounge, borrow a, you know, and, and decorate it and uh, get people to bring their own wine. Just do it once and see what it feels like, you know, and uh, see what the cleanup feels like and dealing with people that have too much to drink. Uh, you know, do, is that fun or not? <laughs> yeah, I know my answer before I even start, but uh, some people are excited about that. Um, so look, the three things on evaluating a mini experiment, did you enjoy it? Did the customers enjoy it? What was the feedback like? Did they say yes? Will they buy again? Like if you've got customers who've bought from you once and they're keen to do it again, that's a good sign. 
that's a great sign. Uh, and then dive in. And the final one is, did you make money? Yeah. Did you make money? And if you've made money, the customers love what you do and you enjoy doing it, then that, that's a successful mini experiment. That is dive in, do it again, build a life doing what you love, making money. That is fantastic. And then you kind of got, well, this running mirrorly experiment. Simon and I have covered this, but it's actually a process of keep running mini experiments. Like you could apply this to jobs as well. I did in the past, Simon, how many jobs I've had. I didn't know whether I'd like a job particularly until I had a go at it. So I tried recruitment. I tried sales. I tried running kids after school clubs. I tried telesales. I tried field sales. I tried photocopier sales. I tried landscaping. I tried garden maintenance. I tried being a manager. Like I've tried, I've tried running a pub being in a restaurant. I've tried so many jobs. I've done mini experiments. Actually, they were a bit too long, Simon, because back then I didn't really understand the concept. It was more like six month to a year experiments. And then that's quite painful. I would have rather tested it for a week and then gone, nah, this isn't for me and moved on to find the thing that was me. But if you want to find the thing that you love doing, that people love doing with you, get faster at iterating on these mini experiments, run more, quicker, bigger, harder, larger, with less risk. We're never saying borrow money to do this. We're always saying do it for free, but do it faster and harder. That's an awkward <laughs> pause on that one. <laughs> I just thought I'd leave it there, Alan. I think yeah, that's one of your you best ever sentences. For... <laughs> You know what I mean, though, don't you? You kind of get the purpose. The purpose is to go out there quicker and to fail faster. Like if the mini experiment is to go wrong, let's get it to go wrong quickly and without spending any money. Fail fast, fail cheap, get it done. And if it doesn't work, move on to the next one without guilt. The quicker you go through this iterative process of running mini experiments, the quicker you'll find the one that you truly love, that you truly want to do, that you truly want to build. And yeah, don't bet everything on one business idea because your first one probably isn't the one you're going to end up running that will make you wealthy and give you the incredible life. I love that. There's a whole confidence thing in there, hidden behind there, because if you put all of your all of your eggs into the first basket and you go, oh, this is the one, this is the one that has to work. And then we build this thing up and then we go, ta-da, and then it doesn't work. It destroys our confidence. Whereas the experiment mm-hmm. gives you an opportunity to... Like, like you said, it's an iterative process. I can, I can run an experiment. Did it work? Yes. Did I like it? Not really. Okay, let's try something different. And what I've noticed is the more experiments that you run, the bolder you get. And you start to realize, actually, this is very, very low risk, especially if you take our methodology, which is bootstrap everything. Don't spend any money. Bootstrap it. Sell it before you've made it. Use your customers' money to grow it and, and all, that, all that good stuff that, that's in the earlier episodes. With the confidence growing, that means you're able to iterate faster. You're able to to make bolder pitches. And what feels like a comfort zone stretch for me now would have been absolutely terrifying five years ago. And equally in five years time will feel like child's play. You know, my stepdad was an entrepreneur and I remember I remember him doing, looking back, they were experiments. And the experiment that he ran was to to do a deal with uh, one of the biggest insurance companies in the UK to dispose of all of their expired 
company cars. So they had this policy of renewing everybody's company vehicle every two years. And he did a deal with someone on the phone and he bought 12 transporter loads of cars without seeing them and without <laughs> paying any money at all. And he managed to negotiate on his the basis of his pitch a kind of a, I'll pay you when I've sold them. And if it's after X number of months, I'll stick it through the auctions and we'll get this price. But I'll try and sell them retail for this price and you know, you'll get a cut of the profit. It was actually a very clever model. And he put the phone down on that. I'll never forget this. He put the phone down on the call after the deal was done. And he looked at me and he had this little cheeky smile. And he said, um, we're going to need more space. It was a, like a Jaws moment. Like we're going to need a bigger boat. He said, we're going to need a bigger yard. <laughs> you know, I said, well, what have you done? And uh, I was about 17, 18 at the time. And two weeks later, the transporters turned up all at once, 12 of them. They started unloading cars. And I suddenly realized that was the power of the pitch. He had no website. He had, you know, and, and by the way, websites did exist then, only just, but they did exist. You know, he, he had no collateral. He just had an idea and he had trust and he pitched it. And that was the start of a, of a multi-million pound business. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That. I've spoken a lot about the negative aspects of my father and the debt he raised and all of that sort of stuff. But actually, one of the things he was the most incredible at, Simon, was pitching. He had this ability to inspire trust. He had the ability to persuade himself that it was a phenomenal idea. And that internal confidence then inspired other people that it was a phenomenal idea. And he had this energy and pitch about him that was able to make things happen and i tell you what if that's something like if you're listening to this now working on your ability your confidence your ability to pitch your ability to sell that is part of the magic to this mini experiment stuff and maybe actually you have to run a few mini experiments and test the pitching to get to where you want to get to. But if you can learn as you go, like that confidence, that energy that Simon's just spoken about, which comes as you practice, as you engage, as you do more of this, that the charisma, the gravitas, the energy, it's unbelievably powerful. And it's that thing, isn't it? The more of it that you do, the more confident you're going to get. Yes. 100%. So look, Simon, we need to sort of come to the end of this. I think there's a, a piece here of you've run a mini experiment and it's gone well, there is an exiting this strategy that I want to talk about because quite a lot of people get stuck in the fact, I love the new idea and I love launching things. And they'll just launch a new mini experiment. Yeah, Simon's nodding saying, yeah, that's me. They launch a new mini experiment every few days, every couple of weeks. But they forget that if you get one that is successful, stop launching new ones and focus on that for a while. And the advice my granny had for me when I was at jobs was stick at it. And if you find a mini experiment that's worked, I think that's fantastic. Stick at it. The opposite of my granny's advice is true. If you didn't enjoy it, it's changed quickly. But once you found something that makes you money, the customers love and you enjoyed it, Stick at it, focus, press in, and make that thing into a real business. That's the time to focus. Yeah, I think you're right, Al. I think the, the bit that you just made me think of is that um, by focusing on one thing, you know, by dialing into what am I selling, who am I selling it to, and taking a whole bunch of action to sell, what that does is it forces you to simplify your business ideas. So if you're someone who gets a little bit paralyzed by the possibility 
business ideas are fully simplified now because you're selling one thing to one kind of customer. And once you've got that, there's a bit here about going, what's the lifestyle that you actually want? Do you want to work in this all the time? Are there bits of this that you go, I'm not very good at that side of it. I'm not very good at graphic design. I'm not very good at social media. I need a bit of help with uh, with the website or whatever that might be. By focusing on sales and by focusing in on what you're selling and who you're selling it to, you're going to make some money. And then the next part of the lesson is to go, well, running a business isn't really doing everything yourself, is it? Actually being effective at running a business is getting other people to do stuff at the bits that you don't want to do or the bits that you don't enjoy or that aren't so good at. So that might be the next bit. But there's a numbers bit that perhaps needs to happen before that so that you understand, am I actually making money here? And just checking in on the numbers is something that you're very good at hours to go. <laughs> like, I love I love running this business, but, oh, hang on a minute. Have we made any money? I don't know. I don't care. I'm having too much fun. You know, when did the numbers bit come in for you? Uh, I think it comes in all the way along. I don't think it's something you bring in at the end. I think it's actually something you do at the start of the mini experiment. Because if you're asking someone to buy, you need to have a number to charge them. And you need to have a rough idea of what it's going to cost because I was speaking to Jamie, the digital artist. You can listen to her on the coaching episode and we're doing a, a Kickstarter for comics. We need to know what the comic costs to sell it. We need to know the printer. We need to know the shipping. We need to know those bits. We need to do our research. And like your ability to have a grasp of the numbers is powerful at all levels. And we're going to do this mini experiment. We're going to try and sell 100 comic books. We know the price of the comics. We know the thing. We're going to run the experiment. And then afterwards, we're going to review it and go, uh, did it cost more than we expected? Did it cost less than we expected? How much did we make? How much work did we do for that number of dollars profit? Uh-oh. Uh, what can we do next time to regrow it? So I don't think it's ever a bring it in at a certain stage. I think this is the numbers are your friend. Review them as you go along, get to know them, and you just keep tweaking them. Like just because you didn't make profit on version one, let's say you broke even on version one, you go, actually, we can up the price a bit. I can reduce the cost here. I can tweak it here. I'll run version two. Oh, I made a profit on version two. I think I can tweak it further. Version three is this. And we've been doing that for the last nine years with Pop Up Business School, Simon, of change the pricing, change the way we do it. Oh, we'll run it this way. We'll run it that way. We'll send one person. We'll do this. And you just keep working through it. So those numbers, you just need to keep tweaking them, keep working on them. Know your numbers. So time has flown, Simon. I'm going to ask you for your closing idea and your closing thought in a minute. Before I do that, let's just run through this full process so that everyone can take it away. Step one, coming up with ideas. Step two, finding the courage to have a go and framing it as an experiment. And actually just picking any idea. It doesn't really matter. Just pick a hill to run up and have a go. Launch a mini experiment and have a go. The key then is to have the idea and pitch it to people and ask them to buy. Whether it's an online version where you build a free website, put a little MailChimp form on there, ask, put a PayPal button on there, ask people to buy, promote it on social media. Whether it's a real life version where in COVID times you're Zooming people and pitching, in real life times you're buying them a coffee and pitching, doesn't really matter. But pitch, ask them to buy. Then it's the diagnostics of if you didn't sell something, then answer Simon's four questions. If you did sell something, did you enjoy it? Did the customer enjoy it? Did you make money? Review the numbers, decide whether you're going to go again and go for it. 
That's the kind of mini experiment process. And if you can take that away and keep repeating it until you find the idea that the customers love, you love and makes you money, you will build a phenomenal business. <sighs> what an episode. Mr. Payne, your closing thoughts for the audience today. It's actually something that you uh, you said to me, I think about two years ago, actually. You, you do that thing where you go, Simon, do you mind if I say something? And that's when I go, all right, here we go. Classic Donegan. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes I sometimes think of us as the hare and the tortoise. I think our skills complement each other so well. You know, I like to think about things a little bit longer and you've already Massively. delivered it. And sometimes that works either way around. You know, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? And um, But the thing that you said to me has stuck with me ever since. And it's really helpful to jolt me out of those moments of paralysis and the thing that you said, and was the thing that I'd like to give as a gift to everybody listening, stop thinking, start doing. Stop thinking, start doing. <sighs> like, stop listening now, just leave. I feel like that's a mic drop moment, Simon. That's the end of it. Stop listening, start doing. I love that. I love that. For the audience listening, the next episode, I'm really fascinating to give to you. It's actually a failed mini experiment. Um, which we don't like the word failure. It's a mini experiment that didn't get the results we wanted. We have a very brave character who I love, Michael Redford, who comes on and very openly and honestly talks about what went wrong with the mini experiment and what he learned. Because the critical thing here is if you learn something from every mini experiment, you're getting better and the next one has a better chance of working. So we've got that. And then I'm very excited to share episode 11 for you. You will have heard on season one, episode 24, we had Keith Hunt, who was launching a restaurant and he'd done all those mini experiences launching a restaurant. We've actually got Keith coming back and he's talking about his tacos and he's talking about whether his mini experiment worked or not. So we'll be actually going through an evaluation process and working out whether that worked or not. Then from there, we're actually going into a series of episodes that Simon and I have been creating on getting things done. Because if you're going to launch a mini experiment, there's some work to do. So I'm very excited about what's coming up. Uh, there's a huge amount to do. And Simon, would you like to end on that mic drop quote again? Stop thinking, start doing. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur. So here it is, the special announcement plus the cheeky special guest. Uh, it is none other than my wife, Katie. Hello. Hello, and I am quite cheeky. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This is the first time you've been on. I know. I've been waiting to be invited for a long time and here I am. Well, everyone on, I keep getting messages saying you should do a show with Katie, you should invite her on. Uh, so here you are, but not for a full show, for a special announcement. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, what have we been up to, Katie? We have been busy launching our finance course. 
Yes, and we ran the first version of this as a uh, test last year. We did an eight-week, once-a-week, every Monday uh, Zoom call about finance, and it was eight different sessions on net worth, cash flow, money beliefs, debt, all of that stuff. We had 150 people turn up to the first one, and they were very gratefully our guinea pigs for the first course, (laughs) and we tested it out on them. They seemed to enjoy it. They did enjoy it. We got some amazing feedback, and now it's time to do it again. So we're rebranding take control of your finances and it's going to be called rebel finance school i love it i'm excited and uh, that's to line up with the rebel entrepreneur podcast pop-up business school is now rebel business school so we're all fully branded rebels we're all part of the family exactly so we're launching this course if you would like help with your finances if you want help getting in control of your money if you're interested in the journey to financial independence then this is the course for you. What are we going to be doing, Katie? Well, we start from the basics. I think when we discovered financial independence, we, well, I certainly got very preachy (laughs) and very like, well, all you have to do is save a million pounds and then you're away. Invest it in index funds. And people are like, sorry, what? I can't even pay my rent and my bills. So we realized we needed to start from the beginning and to help people get a strong foundation for their finances. So to look at how much money they actually have, if they have any assets, how much they spend each month, if they're spending more than they earn, they're never going to get to financial stability, let alone independence. So we start right from the beginning and we work all the way through and we don't get on to investing until kind of week six and seven. Yes, and we've actually got a special guest coming to talk about investing as well. Oh, are we going to reveal who it is? Yes. It is none other than J.L. Collins himself. Uh, The author of The Simple Path to Wealth is coming to do the second part of the investing course, which we're very excited about. Plus, we've got a few other friends coming to help us. So how do you know if this course is for you? First off, it's completely free. We're not charging anything. Katie and I hit our financial independence number a couple of years ago. And well, there's only so much sipping margaritas on a beach that one couple can do. (laughs) But is this just a a sneaky way of getting people into our sales funnel so that we can then sell to them later? (laughs) It does feel like the kind of thing I would train people to do, give away free course and then at the end upsell to another thing. But actually, no, because we don't have anything else to sell you. Uh, No. This is it. This is our way of giving back. We want to help people get their finances in order. And selfishly, we want people to be financially independent so they can come and play during the day (laughs) when other people are at work. We want more friends. So please, uh, fix your business, sort out your finances, come and hang out with us in Oaxaca, Mexico, eating mole and having fun. Um, Yes. So the course, the purpose is to help you take control of your finances. So if you can answer the question, well, can you answer the questions? What is your net worth? Where does your money go each month? How much do you spend in a year? Do you know what date you can retire? Do you have an investment strategy? Those are the questions. If you can't answer those, then this is the course for you. Come along. It's completely free. Go to alandonigan.com forward slash rebel finance or just go to alandonigan.com and you will find the page in the menu rebel finance and you can sign up to the course and come along. If not, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the coaching series with Christina. That is really coming to a conclusion in the next few weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, and Katie's prodded me. I've not told you when the course starts. Katie? Uh, We launch the first week will be Monday, the 26th of April at 8pm UK time, which I believe is midday on the West Coast of the States. 
and 3 p.m. on the East Coast. But time zones are not our specialty, (laughs) especially when they've all been changing around the world recently for all the different daylight savings hours. And I think ours change on this weekend coming, but who knows? So 8 p.m. UK time. So if you're not in the UK and you want to come along, just Google what that is in your your time zone. (laughs) And we would very much love to help you get control of your finances, sort it all out and take a huge step forwards. Because I think that if there's one thing the pandemic showed us, it's how fragile a state people's finances are in. So this is our bit to help people take control. Did we explain it was all online as well and virtual? We're not like inviting people to a room somewhere. Oh, yes. There's no risk of COVID. (laughs) It's on Zoom. You are protected and safe as long as you do it at home. Yes, we didn't say that. So here I am for the details. (laughs) Find out more on alandonigan.com Rebel Finance or I'll see you next week for the podcast.